Welcome to the first episode of Season 5 of Language and Culture with Dr. J. This season is entitled Culture Exponential, and it is dedicated to a quest for balance between mono and multiculturalism and to exploring cultural diversity. More information can be found on the Cultureum website, cultureum.com. This episode takes us to the UNESCO Institute for Lifelong Learning in Hamburg, Germany, into a historic building that used to be the house of Albert Ballin, the shipping magnate and general director of Hapagloid. Mr. Balin lived in this house with his wife and daughter right up until he died. This episode was recorded before a live audience of 25 invited guests. After a brief reception in the foyer of the UNESCO Institute for Lifelong Learning, we recorded our episode in the very room where Albert Balin had in the past received his high-level guests. My interview guest for this episode was Kyle Akins. Welcome to Language and Culture with Dr. J. This is the first episode in season five of the podcast, and we are recording before a live audience at the UNESCO Institute for Lifelong Learning in Hamburg, Germany. In the audience today are many honored guests. The Japanese Consul General Kikuko Kato, the French Consul General Valérie Lucken, the U.S. Consul General Jason Shu the representative of the Malaysian Honorary Council, Heiko Fucht, as well as school principals, directors, and educators from the International School of Hamburg, the Sophie Barat Schule, and Gymnasium Grotmoor. Representatives from the Deutsch-Amerikanische Frauenclub e.V., DAFC, as well as from UNICEF Hamburg, along with some of my former students and a few dear friends. An audience whose members range in age, occupation, nationality, and ethnic heritage. And let us not forget the man of the hour, my interview guest, Kyle Akins. Thank you. A warm hello as well to all of you out there in the 100 countries we are listened to around the world. The UNESCO Institute for Lifelong Learning actively works to promote inclusive and equitable education and believes that no one should be left behind and that learning must be continuous and lifelong for everyone. It is an honor to be recording this episode at the UIL. At the root of Culturium.com and of all my activities with Culturium is also this desire to educate and to encourage dialogue and mutual understanding. To be recording in the presence of our honored guests at this prestigious institute is a real treat. The city of Hamburg has a population of 1.8 million inhabitants, out of which one in six is a foreigner. Hamburg is one of Germany's most multicultural cities, and one third of the population has an immigrant background. Hamburg is also a city of diplomacy, with some 100 consulates and honorary consulates represented in the city, making Hamburg the second largest consulate host city in the world, 
right after New York City. But Hamburg's international reputation also comes from the many famous natives of Hamburg. The composer Brahms was born in the Gängeviertel in Hamburg. Mendelssohn comes from Hamburg, as does Angela Merkel, the first female chancellor of Germany. The fashion designer and icon Karl Lagerfeld, who reshaped the face of Chanel. Helmut Schmidt, the Nobel Prize-winning journalist Karl von Ossietzky, and the list goes on and on. The Beatles lived in Hamburg for a while and started their career by performing at the Indra Club in the red light district of Hamburg and by returning to Hamburg to perform quite frequently in the first two years of their long and successful career. And all this has to do with today's interview and my guest, Kyle Akins. Kyle is a third culture kid, a term coined by the American sociologists Ruth Hill Yusim and John Yusim in the 1960s. Third culture kids are typically exposed to three or more cultures during their socialization. Oftentimes, they come from culturally and linguistically mixed families and follow parents through overseas assignments. Sociologists such as David Pollock and Ruth Van Rieken further categorized third culture kids into army brats, missionary kids, oil kids, or for example, diplo brats, the children of diplomats. <laughs> By definition, third culture kids juggle within themselves their heritage culture, the culture or cultures of their parents, then the cultures of the various countries where they have spent longer periods of time, as well as a third culture referred to by Anastasia Aldelina Lijadi as an interstitial culture and lifestyle. In other words, next to the culture of their ancestors, and the culture of their previous host countries, they develop a third culture that they share with other international individuals and communities of expatriates. Kyle Akins is a third culture kid. His mother is Japanese from Mito in the prefecture of Ibaraki in Japan, and his father is US American, a Texan at that. <laughs> Kyle was born in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. He is now 19 years old and has already lived in India, Australia, Indonesia, Germany, the United States, and Japan. He is quite an accomplished violinist, a former varsity basketball player, and he is currently studying political science at the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Welcome, Kyle, to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So I had a long, lengthy, formal introduction. Let's sort of, you know, take it down a notch and relax a little bit. What do you think? Sounds cool. Okay. So how, how do you feel, Kyle? Like right now. Right now. Uh, nervous. <laughs> it's not easy to talk in front of a crowd of distinguished people. <laughs> So I, I told you before that uh, you would just look at me. Don't look at all yeah. the people out there. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so don't worry about everybody else. You're just looking at me. And I'm going to go into my first question. Are you ready? 
So I bet the last thing you want to start with is an old childhood story. In fact, you told me at the beginning that the last thing you wanted to talk about was, <laughs> was your childhood. But we're going to start with a childhood story. A little birdie has told me a story about a taxi ride you took in Australia. You must have been about eight years old and had lived in Australia for two years. So you spoke with a good old Australian accent, mate. I did. <laughs> But there you were sitting in a taxi with your mother, who is Japanese, and your father, who is a, an American from Texas, and the poor taxi driver was just confused. So he said, oh, so what, what, what's going on? Are you, are, you, are you Australian? Are you American? Are you Japanese? Well, what is this? And you said, well, I'm Kyle. I'm just Kyle. <laughs> so sociologists would say that through this statement, you were identifying as a third culture kid. <laughs> what would you say? That little birdie was my parents, probably, right? No, yeah. a little birdie. Um, yeah, uh, wow. I think that also has to do with the fact that I was just very young, um, and I didn't really understand the concept of uh, being from somewhere, I guess. But yeah, I think it certainly does play a part, the fact that I have um, multiple like identities to to find and to to understand. So... Yeah, in that sense, I guess you could say that I was a third culture kid. Yeah. So you were a third culture kid and no longer are? Uh, <laughs> I am. I still am. But sometimes to avoid hassles, I would say, at least when I'm introducing myself, I, to avoid any hassle. Like once you get to know me, then then you get to know my third culture kid. But initially to, to simplify it, I'll just say I'm from America. So you just yeah. say you're American to make it easy. Hmm. Yeah. What What other obstacles have you found in in being a third culture kid, or you know, in or, or at least talking about or as identifying as a third culture kid, if any? I think there are some challenges. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. It's, 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 we don't need to make challenges, you know, sort of where, where there are none. Or, 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 um, but you said something that that um, you were too you were too young to realize that you were a third culture kid. Yeah. Do you realize that now? Do you feel that now, or do you actually feel American or Japanese, or or do you feel like you have a stronger connection with this international group, right? So with other people from international backgrounds. Honestly, I haven't given it that much thought, so it would be hard for me to say like uh, that I identify with like um, an international identity because I've never really thought about that but concerning my Japanese and American identity I would say that for better or for worse um, it got to a point like I would just always be introducing myself as American and then it got to the point where I'm just like yeah I guess I am American and I don't know my uh, Japanese identity took uh, was on the sideline for a bit I guess Mm -hmm. How did your mom feel about that? <laughs> My mom doesn't really know, I guess, until now. If she's oh, gonna, oh, if she's if she's gonna listen to this podcast. <laughs> But um, yeah, because, you know, all of my education was in English and all of my friends, we spoke in English. And the only time I really got to interact with my Japanese side was basically my mom or whenever we went back to Japan. So but recently I've been on a, a, a journey, you could say, quote unquote, to to be a bit of both. Oh, and, and I just saw the, the Japanese consul general smile when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> But you do speak Japanese. Yeah. I've heard you speak Japanese. Yeah. 
and your mother only speaks to you in Japanese? A bit of both. Uh, English, especially if my dad's around. Uh, <laughs> he tries, but yeah, it's, um, I think he lost most of his Japanese. And to be honest, I think I'm losing a bit of my Japanese as well because I only really talk to it with my mom and I don't really interact with it outside my mom. But what would you, what was the first language you learned? Was it English? Japanese. It was Japanese. It was, in fact, my first word was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was zeri, which is uh, like a jelly in, in Japanese. And it just apparently came from the fact that I would always ask my mom for them. So, <laughs> yeah. And do you, by some chance, remember the first uh, bedtime story or the first lullaby? What language was it in? But if you remember. <laughs> My parents don't do anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, no, like, yeah, not lullabies, but like, yeah, my dad like read bedtime. No, not even bedtime stories. It was, it was more like a, a read along thing, but they weren't there like singing me a lullaby or anything like that. <laughs> and okay, I know you're 19, but you know, if you think about having kids one day, what language would you think you'd speak to your kids then? I would try to uh, teach them both English and Japanese, but I don't know. Okay, Hopefully. okay, okay. And uh, just, just to go a little bit more into this, uh, what was the language of discipline in your family? <laughs> both. Well, oh! But yeah, Japanese is a scary language. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when your mom yells at you, it's, uh, it's, it's scary and yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay. Okay, and, and for you, what language do you speak when you're angry? I would say English, and I say English because since I really only talk Japanese with my mom, like, I got the mom-approved version of Japanese, so I never really, like, learned curse words because <laughs> my, I, I, like, my mom wouldn't teach them to me, so I have more of, like, an emotional connection to English, I guess. Yeah. But that's funny because my kids can curse in Hungarian. It's from my, it's from my parents so that they learned that. So, so you never know. Right? Do you ever mix languages? Do you ever mix English oh, yeah. and... Um, more so with my uh, mom. Like sometimes when I can't find the right word, I'll just switch to English and she'll understand, so. Mm -hmm. And what other languages do you speak besides English and Japanese? <sighs> that's about it. I mean, I speak a bit of German, but that's, that's being nice. <laughs> okay. And um, you're, you're not picking up Dutch at all, or? Uh, no, no, no. I <laughs> I, I am trying to learn Dutch and uh, I'm, in fact, I'm doing Duolingo for it, but it's actually quite uh, similar to German, drunk German. That's, that's, the, that's what I can say. So we might have to edit some, some parts of this, uh, of this episode out. <laughs> okay, so what about culturally? How deeply do you feel connected to the different cultures that have influenced you? And specifically, what do you remember of India? What do you remember of Malaysia? Even if it's something that where you've been told stories of you being young. Hard to say. Is there anything that you remember, maybe even a feeling, a, a smell, a scent of, of something that you ate? Um, any, any memories or any sort of points of identification with, with the countries that you've lived in? Um, for India, uh, I can say chai, I think, that, that left um, that left a bit of a memory for me. And um, naan, I think it's called, which is uh, this type of bread. Mm -hmm. So I think I have um, 
a connection with food for some reason. Mm. So how, how, to what extent do you think, and I'm sort of directing the question a little bit too much, but to what extent do you think you live in an international community, a bubble of sorts when you're abroad? I think very much so because um, I've also, outside of America, I've always been in international schools. So I, I always have this uh, community of people from all over the world. And um, I think, yeah, there is an international aspect that's, that captures, that is captured in that. Mm -hmm. And how much contact, how much actual real contact did you have? How much exposure did you have to the, to the countries, you know, when living in India and Malaysia and Japan and Australia? How much sort of did you actually go meet the people? I forgot for India. I don't remember too much, but I can say you were for very young. I mean. Yeah, I can say for Japan and um, Australia, and maybe not so much Indonesia, but Germany and America. Like I would, I would consider myself like I, I interacted with the locals, and I, I was. I did. I think I would say I got a good feel for the culture. When you say you interacted with the locals, um, how or in, in what situation? So you just went shopping or just understanding like what type of people uh, these different types of nationalities are like Australians. They're super duper nice Dutch people, German people. I can say you guys are very direct, um, <laughs> not a good or bad thing, but um, I can there's definitely a different aspects for each of the places that I've lived in. I'm going to push you just a tiny, tiny bit, if I may, uh, just so I also understand it. How do I imagine you being a child in India, for example, or a young kid in Australia? How much of your time can you spend going out of the grocery store by yourself or, um, I don't know, for example, in Germany, using public transportation or actually going to meet uh, friends in the streets? How, how much of that did you have? You know, um, also, I guess your, your friends were all international as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot like um, in Australia, I can say that like my mom would uh, make me go on errands to uh, get like a baguette. So she would just give me money, send me down the street and then the bakery would recognize me and they'd be like, oh, you want a baguette as usual? And then I'd be like, yeah. And then I'd come back. <laughs> Same thing with Germany. Like every time I would go to a friend's house, I would take public transportation and I would shop by myself, shop for food, clothes, whatever. And to use uh, sociology lingo, right? So monoculture. How did you come into contact with the monoculture, with non-international kids or, or people? A fair amount. I mean, because outside of school and like outside of meeting friends, it's basically that monoculture. So every time I basically wasn't at school, I wasn't hanging out with friends and I had to do anything else, I would... I would basically be interacting with that culture. Okay. So the American sociologist Ruth Van Rieken writes that third culture kids are more likely to speak more than one language, have a broader worldview, and be more culturally aware. At the same time, she warns that life as a third culture kid can create a sense of rootlessness and restlessness. Where, and I quote, 
home is everywhere and nowhere. What do you what do you think about this? I think that's a very good description, actually, of uh, third culture kids. I can say that I didn't really have like a home and I'd move every three, four years and there'd be a new home every three, four years. And um, yeah, concerning the broader worldview, I, I think I would also agree. I think I've had the the luxury, honestly, to um, experience a lot of other cultures and a lot of kids have uh, have been able to do that. And I think I'm pretty lucky to have that sort of experience. Absolutely. I mean, third culture kids are also supposed to be great leaders. And well, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm an anomaly. But, but let's let's go back a little bit to this feeling home everywhere and nowhere, because I feel feel like that as well. And that's one of the reasons I created this podcast, because I feel home everywhere and nowhere. And I'm always searching for home. How do you feel now? And where is home right now? And how do you define home? Because I find myself also asking, where is home? Is it where your parents are? Is it where you have the most friends? Is it where you have a house or an apartment or how do you even approach the question? I think I would say where my parents live is essentially home because, you know, whenever my friends ask me, like, oh, are you going back to home this summer? Like, uh, technically, yes, because I'm going back to where my parents live, but I wouldn't consider it my home because I haven't had that, like, long connection you need with, like, a place to consider home or, like, the, the emotional connection. I, I know you've spent some time with your grandparents in Japan and your grandparents in the U.S. Yeah. How were those experiences? Pretty similar. They're, they're, they're both grandparents, so they, they both uh, have like a very maternal, paternalistic traits and... Uh, very doting. One more than the other, maybe. But um, in regards to calling it home, I wouldn't call that home either, but yeah. I, I kind of always think of my situation as well and my children. And I, and I think my children feel very much at home at my parents' home because they feel like they're so welcome. I definitely feel welcome, but I, I still think it lacks like a certain, because I don't live, like I won't, at most I spend maybe a week or two because in the end I always have to go back wherever and it's only like visiting for break. So you're just a guest. So though. yeah, that's, that's how I see it. And how would you, besides just being where your parents live, how, how would you define home? I mean, sort of, how do we all define home? What is it? Is it a fam? Is it a familiarity with the language, with the surroundings? Is it friends? What would you say defines home? A certain routine? I don't know. What do you think? And and I don't think there's a right answer or anything. I just... Um, I think um, familiarity with the, the language and by proxy, the culture, I guess, plays a large part because I can say that when I lived in America, I certainly felt more homey than when I lived in Indonesia because um, it's the little things. It's like being able to like uh, pick up on random conversations in the bus or like alongside the street. And I guess that gives you like a sense of uh, belonging. Yeah. So I think language has language and culture has a huge part to play. In a, a place feeling like home. Okay, okay. Anushka Bose 
through her research and her own experiences, believes to have identified some characteristics that are typical of third culture kids. I will read these to the audience, but I have written them down for you so you can refer back to them in your answer. So you are supposedly, and I think these these lists are sometimes too simplistic or even a little dangerous, but you are supposedly adventurous, curious, adaptable, perceptive, and tolerant. But on the other hand, you also feel, and this only because you're a third culture kid, you feel misunderstood, confused, unrooted. You have a complex relationship with change and you are nomadic, but crave stability. (laughs) Which of these characteristics apply to you? What do you think? I would consider myself adaptable, definitely perceptive, tolerant. I do think I have a complex relationship with change. Um, I would always dread moving um, at the end of like my dad's post or whatever. But then um, once I got to the new place, I'd be like, oh, this isn't so bad. And then three years goes by and then I'd hate it. And then I'd be like, oh, no, it's not so bad. And then it's like a, it's a, it's a cycle where I, I feel like it's going to be the worst thing ever. And then it's not. And no matter how many times it happens, I still feel that way for some reason, even though like deep down, I know it's not. Um, yeah, I do consider myself nomadic, but also craving stability. I suppose it's a bit of like a weird statement, like a oxymoron, but I think it has to do with the fact that I, I do like being in all these different places, but it's also nice to stay in one place for a while because while I do want to live in all these different places, I never got to experience what it's like to like live in like a place for my entire life, like not even 10 years. So maybe what I'm desiring is like a nomadic a slower nomadic lifestyle, not one where I'm moving like every three, four years, but maybe like a a decade or so. Confused? Definitely. Um, But who's not at 19? (laughs) Yeah, that's also true, right? Because um, sometimes I don't know if the way I'm feeling is if I'm a third culture kid or if it's just the fact that I'm 19. There's a lot of variables at play for me, so... It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Do you imagine yourself settling down? I mean, you said 10 years. So do you imagine yourself settling down in one country? Yes, I think. I think so. But then again, I'm not entirely sure. I don't like to think that far into the future. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think was the most difficult part of growing up and having to move so much? And maybe also, how has this changed now that you're actually living alone for the first time in the Netherlands by yourself? One of the hardest challenges, I would say, was trying to keep my friends that I would make because um, before like I had a phone and before I had like uh, an email and other stuff that could keep me in contact with uh, friends like I only got that stuff I only received a phone when I was in like ninth, 10th grade so before that every time I would move I would basically just have zero contact with my friends but that got better <laughs> after after I moved from Germany I was able to keep some of my friends and it's been less of a it's been less of an issue but for like the the majority of my childhood i would say 
having to make new friends and having to lose friends every every time I moved was the hardest part. And now living in the Netherlands, besides just not having your mom and dad right there to check on you, uh, but also to help out, I'm, what freedoms have you gained or how has it changed now that you are in the Netherlands? Well, I wouldn't consider them freedoms. I mean, you take on more responsibilities uh, as an adult. Um, I'll tell my kids that when I go home. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's... Um, I think the the euphoria of living by yourself wears off very quickly because <laughs> you realize that uh, your parents did take care of a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I hate to say it, but yeah, my parents were right. Wow. <laughs> Will you say that one more time? Uh, they, they heard it. Yeah. Okay, so I began this interview with an introduction about how international Hamburg is. And it is in Hamburg that we met while your father was the U.S. Consul General here to Northern Germany. And we are conducting this interview in the city of Hamburg. How international was your experience while living here? So I did go to the International School of Hamburg. So my um, social sphere and my educational sphere, they were both very international but outside of that like whenever I wasn't at school I would basically be interacting with German culture so I think it's almost like a, a little microcosm that I have in school where it, that's like the main source of international culture that I receive and experience. And did you have anything to do with the Japanese community in Hamburg? And I would like to mention some of these wonderful festivals. Uh, for example, the Japanese Cherry Blossom Festival hosted by the Japanese community here. Uh, there's a large Japanese community in, in Hamburg, in Heidstenbeck, for example. Uh, <laughs> and the Japanese Consul General is nodding yet. Yes. <laughs> in Heidstenbeck, which is a neighborhood in Hamburg, the local grocery store, Edeka, uh, even sells Japanese mushrooms and specializes in providing Japanese products. Were you at all in contact with the Japanese community in Hamburg? No, not in Hamburg, but uh, my mom. So we went to Dusseldorf for like uh, Japanese food and Japanese stuff in little Tokyo. So I guess she has certain preferences about the Japanese culture in, uh, in Germany. So rather than Hamburg, I suppose I would experience like the, um, the expat Japanese lifestyle in Dusseldorf. Yeah. And what were the highlights? What did, what did you enjoy the most? Good ramen. <laughs> they have good food. <laughs> okay. And what about the U.S. culture? in Hamburg for example were you ever at all at the Hamburg International Church or at the International Baptist Church of Hamburg no but I would say I was definitely a lot more involved in the American lifestyle here rather than the Japanese because since my dad used to work at the consulate um And he would be hosting like American events all the time and I would usually go as well. So I was a lot more invested in uh, American culture, yeah, rather than Japanese, unfortunately. And uh, any highlights or favorite parts there? The 4th of July uh, barbecue is uh, very nice. <laughs> yeah, um, 
that's all I can think of as of right now. Um, so I spoke about Brahms and Mendelssohn. Did you connect with Brahms and Mendelssohn while you were in Hamburg? I asked you this before the interview already. No, Mendelssohn is like notoriously hard uh, to play some of his violin concertos. And I'm unfortunately not at that level, I would say. But I still experienced um, a lot more German music culture. Mm-hmm. Were you ever at the Ender Club since since I mentioned that the Beatles were at the Ender Club? No. No, you have to go to the Ender Club. I don't think I've even stepped foot in the Leipzig. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also something your parents will be proud of. <laughs> okay. So to wrap up the interview, I would like to conduct three little experiments. Okay. So the first one is called the flag test. I have a few flags that I have printed out and I will show them to you one by one. And I would like you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when you see these flags. The Malaysian flag. Um, Bahasa, for some reason, yeah. Why? Isn't that the language they speak? And that's what comes to your mind right away? Yeah. French flag. Revolution. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Uh, Isn't that what they're known for? I'm pretty sure the French are going through something right now as well. Okay, okay, okay. Ready? Australia. Super nice. Super nice uh, weather, super nice people, super nice culture, and the kangaroos, I guess. The United States. This is going to sound very cliche, but uh, freedom, (laughs) but also burgers. I like burgers. Burgers. Okay, why? Because burgers are American. (laughs) And why freedom? I don't know. It's just the way that I've grown up, I guess. And I don't even know the media I consume, I guess. (laughs) It's interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Japan. Sushi. (laughs) I'm not going to say why again, but why? Um, but also like respectful and also very uh, straight, like uh, very dignified, I would say. Yeah. And Germany. Beer. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't even been to the Reeperbahn, so why beer? You don't have to go to the Reeperbahn. Ah, okay, 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 okay. All right. So we have another test, and it is called the love test. My daughter put together a little book where she wrote, I love you in 24 different languages. So would you just take a second to leave through her cute little book and tell us which page speaks to your heart the most? Uh, She has in there uh, English and Hindi and Japanese and French and German and Bengali and Korean. So immediately, I would say Braille is one because um, I think that's very overlooked as like um, a form of communication. Like it didn't even strike me that Braille or something like that could be in a book like this. And that's unfortunate because, I mean, it's used a lot. Chinese, I would also say. It's um, very elegant and also very similar to the, well, 
is the same as uh, Japanese kanji. And the last test is called the cookie test. So to everybody in the audience who does not know me personally, I do not bake. I'm a pretty good cook if I do say so myself, but I can't bake to save my life. But for this occasion, I baked. I made some American brownies, German Zitronenkuchen, and Japanese black sesame seed cookies. So this is your little cookie test. Which one are you going to pick? Oh, I can only pick one. <laughs> um, I would probably pick the brownie. Why? Um, I think it mostly has to do with the fact that I'm most familiar with it and I enjoy it the most. Okay. You don't have to eat it. <laughs> with that, I opened it up for questions from the audience. A wonderful discussion followed where many guests had the chance to ask Kyle Aikens their own questions. U.S. Consul General Jason Shu pointed out, for example, that Kyle's father, Darian Aikens, was not only the previous American Consul General to Northern Germany, but he is also a Black American diplomat, the first one in Hamburg. Consul General Shu asked Kyle whether his being a Black Japanese American played any role in his identity and how he presented himself and how the world reacted to him. Kyle's answer was that he does not like to consider himself Black American or Asian American because he feels that there shouldn't be a need to distinguish among Americans. Kyle said, and I quote, We're all just American. Of course, there are still certain challenges that each sub-identity faces, but at the end of the day, I like to consider myself holistically American. End of quotation. The French Consul General, Valérie Lupken, asked whether Kyle's perception of the local people in the different countries he has lived in was influenced by his interactions with mainly international students and friends through his international school. Kyle answered very candidly that the international bubble he was in did play a role in how he perceived the locals. Kyle gave the example of how in the Netherlands, most of his friends are not Dutch and how they tend to make jokes about the Dutch and the Dutch language, which of course influences one's perceptions of the people and of the country. But Kyle added that he hopes he can still see through this and draw his own conclusions and appreciate the culture and the country he is living in. The Japanese Consul General Kikuko Kato asked why Kyle decided to study in the Netherlands. Kyle explained that although his father wanted him to study in the U.S. and his mother would have preferred to have him study in Japan, he chose to pursue his university education in Amsterdam because of the excellent reputation of the university and of their degree-seeking programs in English and because of all that the city has to offer. Yet another question came from Dr. Wetzla 
from the Sophie Barat Schule. She asked Kyle whether he saw his upbringing in such an international context as a blessing or as a burden and asked him whether he would choose to raise his own kids in the same way. Kyle explained that growing up, it was rather a burden to move around so much, but that he now sees the many benefits of having lived in so many different countries. He said that although he lost a sense of home and of belonging, he also gained more insight and knowledge. As to how he would raise his own children, he thought that he would probably want to send them to an international school so that they too would have exposure to kids from all over the world. At the end of our question and answer session, I invited the guests for further discussion in the foyer where we had Japanese cookies, American brownies and German Kuchen for everyone. I would like to thank Kyle Akins for his generous participation. I would also like to thank the audience for coming and for supporting my project. Thank you again to the UNESCO Institute for Lifelong Learning for letting us use their facilities as a venue for this event. Thank you. And this is Dr. J signing out. Hey.